1: Surprisingly, Welcome into the punt impasse podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler. Usually joined alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray, but I'm riding solo today, and I do have a great guest. For everyone to enjoy Seth Emerson from the athletic longtime Georgia beat writer will be joining me a little bit later on in the program. I had to call in the big dog because yesterday, Thursday, July night, there was just an onslaught of negative news surrounding hopefully what will look like a college football season this fall. We will talk about that. I obviously have not been in the negativity camp this entire time and I'm still not. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Punt and Pass. Follow me at Drew Butler. That's where everything is breaking right now. I mean, yesterday at about 4 p.m., you heard it on the radio. You saw it on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Conferences were announcing that they wanted to go to conference-only schedules this fall. Why I think that may be a good thing We'll get to that in just a minute. But it all really started on Wednesday when the Ivy League announced that they would be canceling all fall activities, all fall sports. Remember, during March Madness, when the pandemic first hit, and nobody really knew what we were getting into. We're four months into it right now with no end in sight. The Ivy League was the first to cancel their conference tournament for basketball. Then the dominoes fell and March Madness was canceled. We broke the news about the Ivy League canceling fall sports and football on the podcast. I had Wes Blankenship on from Tackler Media. I hope everybody has followed at Tackler Media and signed up for Wes's newsletter subscription service. It's great. Not a lot of quantity, just really good quantity. So be sure To do that if you haven't already. But the Ivy League set the precedent once again. They said, hey, look, we're not going to have fall sports. So obviously, football is off the table. Yesterday afternoon, I I thought it was just a bombshell. Out of nowhere, the Big Ten announces that they will be playing conference only football this fall. Kind of crazy to think, right? Like, why would the virus only care about conference games? against non-conference games. Look, I understand the travel restrictions. I understand the travel logistics when Ohio State was supposed to play Oregon, right? I understand the fan activity or the traveling by the fan bases when everybody gets fired up for those kickoff games. I also understand how important it is from an economical standpoint when Wisconsin was scheduled to play Notre Dame at Lambeau Field, and now that's not happening, all right? There is a lot of to unpack about this specific situation, the domino effect that the Big Ten will have because now it's being reported by multiple sources that the ACC is expected to follow and have conference-only games. The Pac-12 is in disarray if you're keeping up with that conference. Larry Scott, the commissioner, might be getting forced out after he was caught bragging about only having to take a 10% pay cut making millions upon millions a year. When his subordinates had to take an even bigger pay cut and making nowhere even near what his salary was. And the SEC is just still waiting in the wings, which I think is smart. Look, you've heard it once. You've heard it again. Their deadline to make a decision is most likely August 1st. Now, if every other conference decides, hey, we're doing conference-only football, the SEC may have their decision made for them. But I just have so many questions about this. What's going to happen with FCS football, one AA. What's going to happen with Division II football? Are they even going to play? Think about the contracts that were signed when Georgia was supposed to play Virginia in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, excuse me. The Chick-fil-A kickoff classic was supposed to have three games this year in Atlanta. Another body blow for the city of Atlanta from an economic standpoint. Keep in mind, remember, March Madness was supposed to be here. The Masters was supposed to be in the state of Georgia in April, now rescheduled for November, fingers crossed. Now college football kickoff weekend, which is great, which is fantastic. SEC media days have been canceled. Those were supposed to be in Atlanta. Just a tough time. Just a really tough time. And I'm bringing Seth Emerson on to unpack all these questions. I've got questions from social media that some of you are asking. We will get to those. Is spring football a viable option? I mean, what the hell are we doing? What is going on? When we talked to Dr. Destin Hill during the Quarantine Chronicles, who obviously knows far more than most of us, unless you're a doctor as well, he said it's all going to be up to the testing. And look, I understand college kids are on campus around other students, but the NFL is moving ahead. Major League Baseball, I think, is moving ahead at the end of the month. The NBA just entered the bubble. Golf, NASCAR, Look, these people in these leagues have figured out ways to make it happen. Comically, the NFL says, no jersey swaps after the games, but we're going to go ahead and play football where you tackle and breed and spit on each other. But we'll, we'll ban the jersey swaps because that's where you may contract the virus. It's just crazy to me that the ACC could say, no conference football games. When Georgia has to travel to Missouri this year for a conference game, But they couldn't play Georgia Tech, which is 70 miles away. Those are the things that's really going to have to be decided on how to move forward. What will the schedule look like? How will future schedules be impacted? Will there be ways around some interconference games like a Florida Florida State, a Georgia Georgia Tech? You know, like there's going to have to be ways to make this happen. What will the college football playoff look like? Are schools going to have to go to court to defend just breaking contracts where they're supposed to pay schools $1.52 million to play a football game when the smaller schools who are getting paid very much so rely on that money to keep them afloat. It is fascinating. But the silver lining here is I think these decisions almost certain certify that we're going to have college football this fall. I really do think that. I, I truly do think that. I do think we will have – College football this fall, based on the decisions that are being made right now, the domino effect that the Big Ten just put in motion. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said the SEC will continue to meet regularly with our campus leaders in the coming weeks, guided by medical advisors, to make the important decisions necessary to determine the best path forward related to the SEC fall sports. All right. Well, I mean, I can only hope that things start to look better from a rising cases standpoint that would allow the SEC to somehow navigate a more normal football schedule. Time will tell, but time is very quickly running out. How will college football look this fall? Who the hell knows? But one person that very well may know or have at least a little bit of a better idea than some of us— is our guest, Seth Emerson, at Seth W. Emerson on Twitter. Definitely follow him. He has his ear to the ground better than most when it comes to Georgia football. He's a staff writer for The Athletic. He covers Georgia football and athletics. Georgia beat writer and Athens resident since 2010. All right, let's get right to it, Seth. Please give me some good news. Here's our guest for this Friday episode of Punt and Pass, Seth Emerson. Seth Emerson. All right, let's bring in our guest. We are very pleased to be welcomed by Seth Emerson from The Athletic. Seth has been covering Georgia football on the beat since 2010. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Seth W. Emerson. Seth, after yesterday's onslaught of negative news, I needed you to come on the podcast and hopefully – paint a brighter picture because simply put, it was ugly yesterday. It happened around 4 p.m. The Big Ten comes out and announces that they're going to do conference-only football this fall. Obviously, the Ivy League announced on Wednesday that they were canceling all fall sports. ACC expected to follow the Big Ten's lead. The Pac-12 is in disarray, and the SEC is sitting quietly in the wings. Is this a good thing for the prospects of college football this fall, or or is this negative and only going to get worse? well I
0: mean there's a couple ways to look at that uh, one is that we're just obviously trending in the wrong direction all the news seems bad and that what they're trying to do here is salvage something that now kind of seems inevitable that it won't happen the flip side you want me on for the brighter side of it and this occurred to me yesterday too as all this is going on and by the way it's only the big ten so far that's done this um, the the Pac-12 may or may not follow suit. I don't think the ACC is going to do that immediately. Uh, They decided last night, my colleague Matt Fortuna reported, um, the ACC met and said, we're not ready to do this yet. I think a big part of that is figuring out the Notre Dame component of that for them, but also that they've got these four, and there's four annual rivalry games, such as Georgia Georgia Tech, between the ACC and the ICC. And there's two more ACC-ICC matchups this year, I believe. Um, And well, yeah, one of them is Georgia, Virginia. So you've got four or five schools in the ACC that are going to say, well, hold on, let's not just throw those overboard. I think what this is all about is about part of it is just getting rid of group of five and FCS non-conference games so that, You know, they're kind of unnecessary at this point. They're not a moneymaker anymore when you're not going to have fans in the stands. But it's also schedule flexibility, which is if you keep it within the conference, you can maintain testing procedures for everybody, uniform standards, et cetera, et cetera. But I think teams are going to want some flexibility to schedule out a conference. And to get back to the bright side argument about this is they're trying to find a way. They're not announcing the season is off. They're not announcing we're waiting till the, 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 at least the September slate is off, which is at this point, if I had to predict anything, Drew, I'd say that if the numbers are the way they are now or trending that way, late July they announce we're postponing you know workouts or whatever, postponing the start of practice, postponing the start of the season. So the September slate is off, which is a lot of non-conference action anyway. Um, and they're going to aim for October and hope the numbers get better in October. So, yeah, the bright side argument of this is that they're trying to make a season happen. They're trying to salvage something, and a conference-only season in every conference is not ideal, but it's better than nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I think it gets lost, too. Like, schools and football teams are on campus right now. They're working out. They're together every day. They're obviously taking the necessary protocols, and they're following the testing guidelines You know, the six-week NCAA grace period that I thought was a great decision on behalf of player safety starts next week. They're going to be able to do football activities. They're going to be outside. They're going to be around coaches. You know, obviously, if this thing continues to spread through teams and through schools, that will also be a very dire situation and a bad signal for college football to start in September or October. But you bring up a great point. Like, the ACC is sitting there, and the SEC as well going – I mean, why would we not play out-of-conference games when Georgia and Georgia Tech are 70 miles away from each other? Florida and Florida State. In-state, you could drive, you Mm -hmm. can make necessary changes. I mean, just thinking of having no... Cupcake games, if you want to call them that. FCS games, Division two games, whatever. My first thought process goes to what happens with the FCS in 2020? What happens with Division II football? What happens with the contracts that these schools sign with the smaller schools to pay them to come play? You know, force majeure, which is an act of God. Good luck trying to argue that in the court of law. I mean, there could be real repercussions down the pipeline for these schools that are sitting there going, you know what, nope, not worked it for us. You guys are going to have to figure it out, out on your own. We're just going to focus on conference-only games. And I also feel terrible for our buddy Gary Stokin at the Chick-fil-A and the Atlanta Sports Council Committee. He had three games set up for this Chick-fil-A kickoff weekend, and that is not looking good at this point. So mm-hmm. where where will the common sense come in and really the schedule flexibility to sit there and go, hey, Georgia and Georgia Tech have played each other for 120 or some odd straight years. Why stop now? It just doesn't seem to make sense.
0: Yeah, I, when you talk to people and they say the reason to go to conference only is so you have flexibility. Let's say you're you're keeping week one, September 3rd. Uh, or whatever it is, it's, I think maybe Georgia's Virginia, September 5th, but you, you get what I mean. Yep. We're, let's say we're keeping the schedule, but you're going to conference only. So you're keeping the number of weeks, but you're de- decreasing the number of games, but you're keeping everything in house. And I guess this is the big 10 strategy. So let's say 10 games for 14 weeks. Um, be, you know, but let's be generous and say like the championship games, maybe moved back a week. Um, and, and by the way, that's, that's, you know, how we always talk about when we get to December and once the championship game ends, championship games, end. you've got this like college football seems to go dark for three weeks other than the new Orleans bowl and whatever the the built-in advantage it has, if they want to buy time is that they have December, they can just have an NFL style season where they start in October and go, straight through. Mm-hmm. No no, you know, championship games around Christmas. And forget the small bowl games, just go to the playoffs and the big bowls. Um we'll see what the state of the nation looks like in late December, early January in terms of playing bowl games that aren't related to the playoff whatever. I also would propose that this is a year to go to eight. Um uh, just, you know, you can say it's a one-off, but for the playoffs, I mean, because that's for the sake of fairness. It seems like they'd have to do that, right? Wow. Yeah, because, I haven't thought about that. Be- because if, if you've got four con- – if it ends up being this way where it's five conferences plus Notre Dame, and for the purposes of this, Notre Dame is going to be folded into the ACC for, for sure. this year for scheduling purposes. But still, you've got five conferences that are pretty much playing only each other. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're still going to have your Georgia, Georgia techs and Florida, Florida states. I think allowances are ultimately going to be made for those, but I don't know that for sure. But even then you're not having these, I mean, like Alabama, USC, I mean, you know, that doesn't look like Ohio happen, state, you know? Oregon. Right. Yep. So it, out of fairness, I don't think you can have a four team playoff for when you have five conferences just playing each other. Um, so this would be the year to go to eight out of fairness, quote unquote, but also making more money by having four more games. Um, and they're going to need that money to make up what they're losing already. Um, but to get back to why do this, why go to conference only? If you have 10 games, let's say within your conference, you allow yourself time, you have four or five built-in bye weeks. If we go to that plan of like let's say the championship games are not where we're planning them, they're going to tentatively be like around Christmas or mid-December. Then you have built-in time to move things around if a team has an outbreak, uh if things come up and you, this way you don't have to cancel games, you can keep them in house. You can move them around. You have flexibility. And, again, the, the uniform testing standards, I think, are a, are a big deal also. But if, if the thing is, like, I don't buy the travel argument thing. Um, I don't know why, for instance, Alabama getting on a plane and going to USC, going to L.A., is any safer than getting on a bus and going to Auburn. I mean, you're, you're it's, it's a matter of who you're – like what about coming into Athens? Like, who are you going to come in contact with yep. if you fly? You know, I that that part of the argument I don't really get, but it also gets back to if you can't have this I, the, the uniform testing strategies thing, I, I understand. If, if George is nervous about having East Tennessee stayed in as an example, I don't know that they are, but. If if they're nervous about these FCS schools coming in because they don't have the resources to test and they don't want to pay for their tests, they, you know, I, I get that part of it and understand why that may not happen. But Georgia and Georgia Tech should be able to work together. Yeah, and I, and didn't a few years ago? Everyone keeps forgetting about this because it was this seemingly big deal that no one really cared about. But the autonomy conferences, the Power Five conferences, were given the autonomy by the NCAA to make their own rules on certain stuff, such as cost of attendance. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't they be able to get together and have uniform testing standards and and other stuff regarding this? And I think there's some people in the Power Five conferences that think they should, which is why they were caught blindsided by the Big Ten yesterday, because they apparently have a Zoom call every morning or a conference call. And Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, didn't tell everybody this was coming. Um, either because he didn't know it was coming or, or he just chose not to. And so I, I Big Ten is going to be on an island, I think, for a little bit here. It may end up going that direction, but I wouldn't bury the Georgia-Georgia Tech game for 2020 yet. I'd, I'd still bet that if there is a 2020 season, that that game is going to be part
1: of it. No, you bring up a great point. Like like the travel, you know, the travel restrictions that you're going to be reading about as to why conference only would make sense. I don't buy that either. And I saw a great tweet from the Pickle, which is a sports satire website. They said six and a half months into the global pandemic, we have finally made an important breakthrough. The virus can only spread via non-conference games. I mean, that's really yeah. hilarious because yeah. it just doesn't make sense. You just said it. You just said it, and from my experience as well, when you're traveling, that team, you're in a bubble. Whether you think about it or not, you're so sequestered, you don't see Anybody, you're in the hotel for, you know, 18 hours and you go to the stadium, you play a game and then you're on a plane and you're out of there. But, you know, those games that you just mentioned, Alabama, USC, probably not going to happen. Ohio State, Oregon, not going to happen. Wisconsin, Notre Dame at Lambeau Field, not going to happen. I mean, that's tough because those are the great aspects of college football. And for the college football playoff, as you mentioned, do they go to eight? Those out of conference games are so pivotal in deciding who the top four are are at the end of the season. I think it will be fascinating to see how the college football playoff committee makes their decision because they're going to have to announce it before the season starts, and they're obviously talking with their voting committee and all the commissioners. That will be really fascinating to see how it plays out. One last question for you before we get into some of these fan questions. Is spring football even a viable option? Because I've said no from the entire start. just doesn't make sense to me.
0: It is a viable option only if there's no other option, Yeah. if they can't make it work in the fall. And again, postponing the fall doesn't mean like postponing all of it. Like we could get to late July and say, and like I said, this is what I would predict right now unless we get to late July and case numbers are starting to go down, the death count looks like it it didn't go up, um, et cetera, et cetera. It, which is something I think we're all hoping. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, I think they can get to July. They may postpone September. So then you try to do October onward. Then if you can't do October onward, mm-hmm. I think you do November onward. Um, I mean, you may keep punting a month by month until things get better. And I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I may be totally wrong about this, but I, I think, like you said, the closer you play the two seasons, the 2020 season, if, even if it's in the spring, and the 2021 fall season is not good. So, what if you can start it in December and then wrap it up in February? Um, that's that's better than than starting like in February and going to to April. Um, it, it's a it's a last resort option. It, it would certainly not be ideal. You'd have the Trevor Lawrence's and Justin Fields of the world opting out. Um, yeah but it would still provide that revenue. It would, it would, you know, and we we talk in terms of everyone keeps talking about terms of revenue and games and entertainment, whatever. And I think a lot of times we forget about the players and I I realized that in college football, they don't have a union. And in college football, frankly, they don't have a voice. Um, That's a, that's a problem with the the culture of, of college football where, you know, I, I can't, call up Richard LeCount and say, hey, are you comfortable with playing this year? Or, or you know, what, what does everyone on the team think? Mm-hmm. But the sense I do get, and and I've tried very hard. I did a story talking to recent former players who do talk to current players. We, we at the Athletic and the ESPN also did anonymous player surveys. Um, but the sense I get is most guys do want to play. Yeah, And so we're, I think sometimes, People project their own opinions on players, and assume that because they are essentially unpaid labor, which in a lot of ways they are, uh, that that they either don't want to play or that they want to play but they need to be protected from themselves. And and I don't think that's fair. I, I think to so many guys who this would be their last year, and you can say well they would get another year on the back end, but they'd be another year older mm-hmm. and. It, I think there's a lot of guys that do want to play, and I, I would—I I think that has been lost in this—is is the players and their own desires, um, and I, I would hope that that gets taken into account more as as we get closer to making decisions on this.
1: I, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, from my experience, players want to play, right? And I don't know if that's me projecting my opinion on what I think about them, but that's why they're all there right now. That's why they're around their teammates and enjoying their time on campus with their boys, with their coaches, doing what they love to do. One, because they don't know any better, right? I mean, they went to Georgia, they went to USC, they went to Alabama to play football. That was taken away from them, being around their boys from March until May. Now they finally get a chance and they're all in. I mean, you don't hear about college football players like a Nick Markakis with the Braves saying, hey, I'm just going to sit out this year. We'll see what happens. Hopefully everybody stays healthy. This is what they do, and I firmly believe these guys want to play football, and if given the opportunity, they're going to be all hands on deck, which will be, I think, the ultimate tell of how we move forward because everybody's going to be sitting there leaning on the commissioners, leaning on the campus leaders to make the right decision for player safety, for public health, and hopefully that moves towards more football or as close to regular football as we can get. But do not get it twisted, people. Okay. Yes, obviously, the public health aspect has huge repercussions on the decisions made, but it's the bottom line. Okay. It is an economical decision. A compromised football season will have a dramatic effect on the revenue generated. No football season at all would have maybe irreparable effects. Of, from a revenue standpoint of not having any football. And I think that's what will drive the decisions. As bad as that may sound, I really do think that is what happens. Tell me this, Seth. You mentioned about players like Trevor Lawrence or Jamie Newman sitting out if, if it were to be pushed December, February, March. Do you think seven months ago when Jake Fromm made the decision to declare early for the NFL draft that he would have imagined being stuck in Warner Robins for seven months and then getting drafted fifth round by the Buffalo Bills? Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a tough I mean, one right there.
0: The, the, I mean, he, it looks like he made the <laughs> kind of made the right call now. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how some, a lot of these Georgia seniors on defense feel. Um, although I think that they, you know, if they were surefire first round picks, Monty Rice, Richard LeCount, et cetera, they would have gone. Um, but yeah, uh, who knew that there was a pandemic coming that could erase the 2020 football season, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's crazy times. It is crazy times. You mentioned Notre Dame as well, probably being rolled up into the ACC. How convenient for the Golden Domers. They get to stay independent as long as they want. They don't have to play in a conference championship game. They don't have to align with the conference. But when push comes to shove and they need it just to salvage a season, of course they'll be saved, right? Because that is the Notre Dame preferential treatment that we all know and love and we love to poke fun at them with. We're going to jump into our social media questions. We have two off the bat from Jason Simonovich. Shout out Peachtree Ridge High School. His second question, we'll go with first. He said, "Could this be the final push for Notre Dame to enter a conference fully?"
0: Uh, I doubt it. That, I don't I mean, think they'll, so. Either. they'll play an ACC. Yeah, they'll, they'll play an ACC schedule predominantly this year. Maybe they'll also play Navy, um, but then they'll, you know, it'll they'll kind of realize that, eh, you know we want that flexibility. We want that independence. It, it doesn't, they're they're, especially with the playoff. I mean, what, what did we say earlier? We, we being me, but this is what most people say. Like you've got five conferences plus Notre Dame for four spots. You roll Notre Dame into the ACC or any conference. We're not saying Notre Dame by itself. They're, they're better off being an independent
1: yeah, and they don't have to join the – well, they don't join a conference because they don't have to. I mean them being independent right. gives them so much financial and scheduling flexibility to where, look, they have it made, and it's because they're Notre Dame. It's as simple as that. He also asks a really good question here. Presuming conference-only scheduling, what or could this lead to cross-network television broadcasts even if just for a single year, CBS covering more than just the 330 SEC game, for example?
0: Mm, what does he mean? Like um- – like not the same network covering
1: exactly just based from a logistical standpoint i guess
0: or like wait wait covering the or two networks covering the same game or the same network covering a couple different
1: the same network covering a couple different games
0: okay so like cbs would maybe you'd have more of the double headers that they have i guess once a year the 338 i mean i don't know maybe um There, I think the TV networks probably behind the scenes are being consulted a lot on this.
1: They are. Um,
0: I don't think they're dictating terms, but you know, something that I I was talking with someone earlier today is uh, an unknown in this is we're kind of assuming that if there's no football season, that they lose all that TV money, Um, but do they actually kind of have a negotiated? Let more of a gray area kind of thing. Um, do the networks come in and say, "Look, breach of contract." Do the conferences, which hold the TV, you know, rights who have the contract, say, "No, we had a, you know, we had a pandemic. I mean, we don't know what the clauses are what the force majeure clauses are." There, um, we do know at, at the minimum the TV networks say, "There's no inventory. We can't really pay you for this." Um, but it, it has a. It reminds me a lot of the non-conference games I've I've been going through may do a story on this later today. um, But I've been going through Georgia's game contracts and the ones with East Tennessee state and Louisiana Monroe have force majeure uh, clauses. They don't mention pandemic, but the language is enough that it says if the game is something like if the game is, it's impractical to play the game, but what they say is that if it is impractical play the game, the best efforts must be made to reschedule it by both schools. Mm-hmm. And my reading of it, and it may not be Jordy's reading of it, but my reading of it is that if the sec just says, all right, we're canceling the games, um, then East Tennessee state and Louisiana Monroe have a right to say, we still deserve that money. We're not the ones that backed out. And everything I've heard says that those two schools are still saying they expect to play those games, which may be, you know, A public stance in order to establish that if you pull out, we still need that yeah.
1: money. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, so, mean, I, I, I 100% yeah. agree with you, and I talked to some legal buddies of mine, and they said simply – I said it earlier when we jumped on the phone call – force majeure is one of the hardest things to argue for in the court of law. I mean good luck saying – and I understand there's language in there. Um, and it has to be an act of God, and you you must make the best effort to reschedule the game. Pandemic insurance and force majeure are two very separate things, and I highly doubt that pandemic insurance is written into these game contracts. They probably will in the future, but um, as of right right now, like what Wimbledon did, did, and they cashed in that huge policy, I don't think college football had the foresight to kind of dial that in for these out-of-conference games. So, what will happen? Who knows? But those games, and like you said, the payments that are supposed to go to the smaller schools are so imperative just to them staying afloat. I mean that's why they do it in the first place. Cliff Harrison said he's okay if they push it to spring for one year. NFL in the fall and college football in the spring sounds like heaven to him. I don't know. I mean we mentioned it. It could happen. I like your idea of kind of punting month by month, and that's how you would get to yeah. spring. as like a last resort type situation. And then our final question is from Brandon Simmons. He says if every conference goes to conference only schedule and ends up actually playing, how does this affect future season scheduling?
0: Uh, if they say that again, if they if they play do the, play
1: conference only schedule and actually oh, okay. end up playing, how will that affect future season scheduling?
0: I, I would anticipate that 2020 is just a season that is kind of said this is an asterisk season, yeah. as in we just kind of you know, Georgia's or the SEC's schedule wraps up 2024, I believe. Um, They, I think would probably take into consideration, like if the SEC goes to 10 games, for instance, and only 10 games this year. um, So Georgia adds, let's say a trip to Texas A&M and Ole Miss comes here. I'm just pulling that on my ass, but um, then maybe that will be taken into consideration that like in 2025, Georgia won't be going to Texas A&M as I guess they are in 2024, but you get what I mean. Like they'll they'll take things into consideration on those and on the non-conference games. I, I kind of do think, like you said, force majeure is hard to enforce in court, and I'm not sure it's in anybody's interest to go to court or to really fight over it. Yeah. So I, what I suspect is that like a Georgia and Louisiana Monroe. I mean, Georgia will probably just write a check yeah. in East Tennessee State. I mean, 550000 you know, Kirby Smart spends, spends that much on helicopter rides in the month <laughs> of June yeah. normally. Um, they'll just write that check. Louisiana Monroe, a little dicier because it's $1.75 million. Um, I would imagine kind of a negotiated settlement there with, you know, maybe you give Louisiana Monroe half of it and promise them, another guarantee game in 2024. I think things like that are going to happen because there's only so many group of five schools that you don't want to alienate one because then the price goes up to get others. The price is already going up. So um, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but that's, that's my read on it.
1: What's your thought process on like even the FCS school say that they get hung up and the school that they're supposed to pay for play says, you know what? We're not going to pay you guys. Does the FCS have a season this year? I mean, you can answer that one quickly. Yes or no. That's where I think uh, the domino effect yeah. really is.
0: Yeah, I think I think it could be. I think um, I mean, you're already seeing it on the division two level. Um, I think FCS schools are smart to hold out right now to try and get those checks. Yeah. and make sure that they're not the ones that are contractually obligated to back out, you know? Um, but, um, I, that's why I would be surprised if like FCS conferences start bagging it, but like division two conferences, aren't gonna, aren't gonna do that. They're yeah. not, they don't, they're not on FBS schedules. They're not, they're, they are not they they do not have guaranteed They don't, they don't have, if you're not going to have fans in the stands, they're not going to make money for sure. So um, and they don't make much money now, honestly, they probably don't make any money. Um, when you've got football expenses and then you look at the revenue, they, because they don't have big TV contracts. They just get money from the gate, which probably doesn't make up for the revenue or the expenses they have for football. Cause it's such an expensive sport, even at the division two, II, division three level, but they play football because it, it's a unifying force for a school and, and everything it gets. It's a a way to get your name out there, that kind of thing. But um, this year may be the year that a lot of – I mean, maybe the year that only the FBS level plays.
1: Yeah, no, that question was from Michael Love, and I, I, I agree with you on that one. And this is the final question for you, Seth. You mentioned that 2020, this, this football season, may just have an asterisk next to it. And you've covered Georgia since 2010. You live in Athens. You know the pain, the suffering, the heartache that Georgia fans know – and are accustomed to, what's your odds that you would put on Georgia running the table, winning the SEC, winning the national championship with that little asterisk next to it?
0: Uh, How many people remember that the Braves year was the year that they started late?
1: Oh, I did not remember that.
0: Yeah, there you go. There's your answer.
1: All right, cool. I like that. I like that optimism. See, that's what we need around here. We need people finding a way.
0: That's if everybody plays. If everybody at the FBS level plays, then, who you know, and, it, you know, they could, if everybody at the FBS level plays and they play like an eight game schedule, but then they go to the playoffs yeah. and Georgia wins that, you know, I mean, there could end up being extenuating circumstances, but I just, I don't see, I think the asterisks would come if things get so bad around here in our part of the world, which mm-hmm. frankly they are, it's the Sun Belt and the West that are the problem right now that like the sec and the Pac twelve, ironically, are the ones that shut it down. Um and like Boston College wins the national championship. <laughs> one of the few programs standing. That would be fantastic. That's an asterisk. Yes. So everyone at the FBF level plays, I think, you know people, Great. people can say it, but like it, it I don't I don't think it would like you said, who remembers?
1: Yep. No, it's I great. totally agree. I, strike Shorten, yeah. I totally agree. Well, Seth, thank you so much for your time. I man. we had to bring you in to get some perspective on these new stories and, and everybody knows that they're going to continue to rock and roll because time is running out. I mean, August 1st is yeah. two and a half, three weeks away. It is right around the corner to where real decisions are going to have to be made and be sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Follow Seth on Twitter at Seth W. Emerson. He has his ear to the ground on everything college football and specifically Georgia football. So make sure that you follow him and subscribe to The Athletic. Seth, thanks so much, my man. Have a great weekend. Huge thanks to Seth Emerson from The Athletic. Be sure to follow him at Seth W. Emerson on Twitter. He keeps you up to date with everything going on in college football, specifically Georgia football. But you need him now more than ever because this week has ended on a crazy note regarding the prospects of college football and the 2020 season. So we very much appreciate Seth taking some time out to talk to us right here on Punt and Pass. Thank you for always listening. Be sure to follow us at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11 And keep in mind, www.puntandpass.com will be new and improved, up, ready to roll by the end of the month. We got a merch shop. We got a blog. We got a partner's page. We got videos. We got everything you need to make sure that you are the smartest college football fan in the country. And guess what? You already are because you listen to Punt and Pass. So everybody have a safe and healthy weekend. We will talk to you next week. See you.